Welcome into this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex, and there has been a change atop the world order. We'll get into Scotty Scheffler, winner at the WGC Dell Technologies Match Play Championship, the hottest player in golf. We'll dissect how he went from promising prospect to a certified world beater and also discuss his staying power at number one. We'll also get into the last PJ Tour event before the Masters. That is the Valero Texas Open. Rory is there. Spieth, too. Bryson, as well. It's a sneaky, nice field as players tune up before making their way to Augusta National. Hey, speaking of Augusta, is Tiger going to be there? We'll sort through all the rumors and speculation that is sure to be outdated by the time you hear this podcast. But first, the new Chrome Soft golf balls from Callaway are better for the best and better for everyone. This new family is available in Chrome Soft, Chrome Soft X, and Chrome Soft XLS. Each of these golf ball offerings incorporates the company's proprietary new precision technology for the tightest dispersions, consistently fast ball speeds, and total performance. And of course, they deliver the soft, responsive feel and control that players love. These new balls are available now. You can head over to CallawayGolf.com to see which Chrome Soft is right for you. Woof, Rex, I would have loved to have you on that read uh, with all of those tongue-twisting phrases. Uh, luckily, I handled it uh, with the adeptness that we have come to expect in this Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Love to get into what you ate uh, in Austin, one of the best food cities in the country. But we have some breaking news, my friend. I have been deep diving on these private jet websites for the past 24 hours, and I've stumbled upon the Holy Grail. I have, with let's call it 95% certainty, tracked Tiger Woods' private jet, leaving Stewart, Florida, uh, early Tuesday morning, on its way, apparently north, towards, you would think, Augusta National for a little bit of recon. I think if we'd done this podcast a month ago, you and I both would have scoffed at the idea that Tiger Woods could play in the 2022 Masters. A I, month. I think, we would have month. done this okay. two weeks ago. Oh, two, okay, two, two weeks ago. I think we would have scoffed the idea. I think we, both of us, we could, we could acknowledge that Tiger's probably going to make every conceivable effort to, to be there, right? Like he's going to try his, he's going to try his damnedest and, and boy, you know, he probably just was going to determine he wasn't ready. Boy, it sure looks like he's going up for a scouting trip, Rex, to test not just his game, but I think mostly his body and walking what is one of the most grueling tests in golf. I think that's it. I think what we saw out of the game and and really from what I've heard from people in South Florida is that the actual swing itself, the ball speed, the club head speed, it's all there. It's all back. I think we saw a little bit of that, I guess, last year at the PNC when he was playing with his son, Charlie, although, you know, that's that's a hit and giggle and you always kind of curious exactly how that's it's like a spring training game like i'm very happy with what what my orioles are doing right now in spring training but i know it's not but you know they're they're probably going to lose 110 games i know it's not real it's it's, this is all fake but when it came to tiger it seems like the game is there i think you're absolutely right this is all about let's go up let's walk 18 holes on what is a very very demanding golf maybe one of the most demanding walks in all of professional golf and see what it looks like the next day see how i feel Wednesday morning is what this is really about. See, he doesn't care see, what he see does. If his leg, see if his leg looks like a two by four the next day. 
Yes. What color purple or shades of bruising is, is my leg going to be the next day? And I think that's probably going to dictate it. And at right now, I mean, again, two weeks ago, if you'd asked me, I'd have given it, I don't know, 10, maybe 20% that he would play. Now it's got to be 50-50, right? Like we just don't know. And if he's willing to make the flight, which, you know, for him is significant, if he's willing to make the flight up there and try, then yes, I think there's something to this. Yeah, I think it's important, you would think, to make this a two-day scouting trip. You, you know, play, we're recording this podcast on Tuesday. Let's play 18 holes on Tuesday. Let's go through our standard post-round recovery and treatment process, whatever that is for a 46-year-old with a completely battered body. Wake up on Wednesday morning, see how we feel, and kind of simulate what you do during the Masters, right? Like you have, you go through a, a pre-round treatment, he gets therapy, whatever the case may be, you go through an hour warm-up, you go to the putting green, like he has to simulate what the experience is, and then you go out and play another round of golf. I think if the Masters tournament was held at Medalist, uh, I think Tiger Woods would play. Augusta National, not just the walk, but I think two Rex, the uneven lies is what's going to be very interesting and something that he's going to have to gauge during this purported scouting trip because in South Florida, as you and I are well aware, you get mostly flat lies, uh, certainly at the PNC championship where we saw him uh, last in quote unquote competition with son, Charlie, he's basically playing off a flat surface. He can go to the range all day, probably and hit balls. But once you stand on, on the 10th fairway at Augusta national, with the ball on a side slope and a severe downhill lie, and he's got to put some pressure on that right leg to make a swing. Uh, that is what I'm most curious uh, to see. I'm sure we will know more. We're recording this podcast, as I said, on Tuesday. Personally, I had kind of circled Friday as the day when you'd think that we would get an announcement. And that certainly kind of gels with this timetable that we're seeing now with this practice session. That's kind of when in the past he has made his determination, whether he is or isn't playing. I think that date uh, now makes a lot of sense for a couple of reasons. Let's say he's playing 36 holes this week, right? At Augusta national, let him get home Wednesday night, see how he feels on Thursday. Go ahead and make an announcement Friday. The final round of the Augusta national women's amateur. I will be there in Augusta is on Saturday. He wouldn't want to overshadow that. Sunday, you and I will both be there at Augusta National for the Drive, Chip, and Putt Championship, as well as our annual round at Palmetto. He would certainly not want to overshadow that uh, boondoggle that you and I have every year. We would not want to be writing a column on Sunday afternoon when we could be on the fourth hole at Palmetto. So Friday has always been the date that I have kind of circled that makes the most sense for announcement. Whether he does or doesn't play, uh, we don't know. Do you kind of agree with that time frame? I think that makes the most sense. And keep in mind, there is one thing at play here. Normally at a PGA Tour event, 5 o'clock on Friday would be the date, the time when he would have to make a decision. In this particular case, Augusta has different rules. So he can wait until really that first round tee time on Thursday to make a decision. My guess is because he's making the flight up there, because he will have an idea of exactly how his body is going to react, at least in the short term. I think you're probably right. Friday, at least over the weekend, I'm sure he will have made a decision. So, no, thankfully, I don't think our round at Palmetto, which is much more important than anything else that's happening over the next two <laughs> weeks, is going to be impacted one way or the other. What a, what a world, Rex, that we could have Tiger Woods 14 months 
after a horrific single car accident, potentially play the Masters, but not Phil Mickelson, <laughs> the reigning PGA champion, who by all accounts is healthy physically, uh, if not mentally, and perhaps uh, emotionally. Let's move on since we don't really have anything to offer on the Tiger front besides wild speculation. I'm sure, folks, that we will have an emergency podcast if Tiger Woods announces that he will be playing in the 2022 Masters. And quite frankly, we'll probably have a podcast, uh, emergency or otherwise, if he decides that he is not playing. That is the state of Tiger Woods. We're just going to have a podcast regardless. Here. It's going to be a Tiger podcast. podcast one way or the other. Yes. We're going to have a podcast regardless. I'm, I'm actually a little bit worried. So I'm going to be at Augusta National on Friday. That's the practice round for – so everyone – who plays in the Augusta National Women's Amateur, gets to play a practice round at Augusta National. That's one of the cool things of being invited to the ANWA. However, it's really, they're kind of pushing those players along if they didn't make the 36 hole cut. And it's a day for the top 30 players uh, to really learn the intricacies of that golf course. But we're going to be out on the golf course, talking to players, learning their stories, talking to caddies, trying to get as much information as we can. We do not have our cell phones out there by the tree wrecks. And oh, so boy. I will be out of pocket for many hours uh, on Friday. So hopefully Tiger can kind of coincide that announcement uh, with when I'm available. I think that'd be very selfish of him uh, if he did not wait for me, uh, but we will see exactly what Tiger Woods decides to do. Let's move on to the tournament that you just finished covering. Uh, welcome back home to Longwood. Scotty Scheffler defeated Kevin Kisner in the championship match at the WGC Dell Technologies Match Play Championship. Convincingly, too, I must add. Uh, four and three hit, I believe, his first uh, 11 greens in regulation in the championship match. Just put tons of pressure on Kisner, the Match Play Ninja, and really didn't allow him uh, any sliver of opening. And Rex, I want to get into this because the narrative six or seven weeks ago with Scottish Scheffler, 15th ranked player in the world, top 10s, and basically every important event we'd had, had that really impressive singles victory over John Rahm at the Ryder Cup last fall, and yet he did not have an individual victory of his own on the PGA Tour. What the heck changed in the past six or seven weeks? He went from 15 in the world to one in the world and entering the Masters. I mean, he's the hottest player in golf. I think I was fascinated by what you said Sunday night when we did writer's block about the idea that you covered him as a junior, you covered him in college as an amateur and saw what he was able to do. But even you didn't think that this was in the offing. I mean, I think everyone who saw him saw a very, very good player, a player who was going to come out on the PGA tour and have success. I don't think you were going to see a race to world number one. And, and part of this is Scotty. And part of this is where we are right now, where, Everyone around him has had an opportunity to unseat John Rahm, again, who hasn't played his best in the last six months. He's been decent, but hasn't played his best. They've gotten to the door, and they just haven't stepped through, regardless of who that is. It could have been Colin Morikawa. It could have been any number of people. The fact that Scotty jumped from fifth to first shows you how close that race actually was, that you had one week, and you could have that big of a swing. That being said, I, I was at the Houston Open last fall and watched him take a one-stroke lead into the final round and thought to myself, oh, this is a done deal. Like, we're, we're going to see Scotty win for the first time on the PGA Tour, and he's going to come of age, and he's going to suddenly realize that, yes, I'm that person. And he didn't get it done, and, and I started to question, wow, I wonder what's missing here. Like, something's missing on a Sunday. 
And you look in the very next week after Houston, he started working with Teddy Scott, Bubba Watson's longtime caddy, a very, very good caddy. And I'm not saying this is because of Teddy. And Teddy didn't say it was because of Teddy when I talked to him on Sunday in Austin because a caddy would never do that. But I think there is something to be said for what he learned in those near misses last year, whether if it was Houston, certainly the match play last year where he lost in the final round, to uh, in the final match to Billy Horschel, even the Memorial to a certain degree, the PGA Championship, all these opportunities that were lost, I think he learned from that. And then the relationship that Teddy brought, the things that Teddy brought to the bag, I think all of this sort of coalesced into what we saw starting in Phoenix, where really good playoff win against a really good player, Patrick Cantlay, in the middle of a zoo that is TPC Scottsdale. Bay Hill, where, I mean, that was just brutal conditions on Sunday. It was a grinding victory. And then 120 holes he had to play last week. I mean, it is a marathon, and it just beats you down. And he was able to beat probably, I would argue, the best American match play player at the moment, and Kevin Kisner in the final. I think – Everything that he did over the course of, and I think it's 42 days from the time he got his first PGA Tour victory to the time he moved to world number one, that is amazing to me because that just laps anyone else in that category. It, the, the quality of his victories, the disparity of his victories really shows me a player whose game travels, whose game is built for certain types of tests. I don't think there's anything he's going to encounter whether in a major championship or during the regular PGA tour schedule, that's going to kind of phase him or not kind of fit with his skill set. I think he's proven now just in year three, uh, just by amassing the tidy little resume that he has, that he is built for every sort of test. And, and, and that's why I think the arrow on him is pointed straight up where I'll give you a lot of credit. He was either on the, the season ending podcast for 2021 or kind of the season preview where you picked Scotty Scheffler as a breakout player this year. I remember kind of poo-pooing that, not because I didn't think the world of Scotty Scheffler, but and we kind of touched on this on, on Rogers block on Sunday night. I just never saw him as the top-ranked player in the world. I don't know why that is. I think maybe even Scotty himself, and he kind of alluded to this, never saw himself as the number one player in the world. He just loves playing golf. He loves competing. He's grateful to be out there playing against the world's best. He just kind of goes through the process and he, and he picks up uh, certain victories here or there. But I, I think you make a good point too, Rex, that it was really a, a combination of factors. But let's look statistically. And there has not been a massive leap somewhere. It's not like, you know, he, 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 he changed drivers and all of a sudden he gained 25 yards or, uh, you know, he changed his putting stroke and all of a sudden he's, he's filling up everywhere. Sure. You know, he's hitting his irons closer to the hole and he's putting better. Uh, that's usually a pretty good combination. I think mentally we've seen a, a shift. Certainly the burden lifts once you get that first PGA Tour victory, the kind of the, the confidence mushrooms, knowing it's possible. You brought up Ted Scott. I don't think that his uh, importance can be overstated as well. They've certainly kind of turned the page. But I think this is just – this is kind of just too – Scotty is. It almost seems like it was inevitable, does it not? I mean, he was the he was the top junior player. I mean, he won the U.S. Junior. He was a standout college player, despite dealing with a lot of injuries and and swing issues. I mean, he almost won the NCAA Individual Championship. He was the Corn Ferry Tour Player of the Year. He's the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. Now he's, you know, assuredly the the front runner for PGA Tour 
player of the year at the halfway point and the best player on the planet mathematically. I mean, that's a linear path to stardom. And I think the only surprise to me is that it was Scotty who got there first when we've been spending so much attention on the Colin Morikawa's and the Victor Hovland's uh, of this generation. Well, is it inevitable? I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a good question because certainly you look at his footwork with his swing and, and this, I go back to a story where I think he was on the range. I think it was last year. It might've been Houston where someone walked up. It was one of the announcers who were just kind of working the range early on a you know, Saturday or Sunday afternoon and said something to not so much to Scotty, but to his swing coach, Randy Smith about what's up with your boy's footwork. And it's unorthodox. And I think it kind of, it did not land well with Scotty, by the way. He did not appreciate someone talk, calling well, him out. Wait till, wait, wait till if they're if they're really enamored with Scotty's footwork. Wait till they see Jordan Spieth's chicken on uh, ch- chicken elbow at impact. They're really that was be freaked out. That was not pretty. Uh, and the other fact is he doesn't carry himself. I mean, look, Colin Morikawa is the sweetest man on the planet. That smile is just infectious. But there, he carries himself in a way even before he'd won the PGA Championship a few years ago in a way that you go, yeah, that he could be a special player. Certainly you look at a guy like Brooks or a guy like Dustin Johnson or even Rory to a certain degree. They sort of carry themselves in a way that you think to yourself, yes, that guy can be world number one. When you see Scotty Scheffler shuffling through a a lobby of a hotel, you don't immediately go, wow, that guy's going to be world number one. Nothing against him. I don't mean that in a bad way. He just doesn't have that air about him until he gets on the golf course. And you talk about the quality of wins. I mean, it's one thing to get on a heater during the Florida swing or to get on a heater in Hawaii where you can get hot in, in Maui and all of a sudden you show up at Sony and the golf course fits your game. And next thing you know, you're in the top five in the world. He won three distinctly different tournaments against three distinctly deep fields in three distinctly different conditions. I think that in itself paints a picture of a guy at least as a complete player, if nothing else. He is guaranteed, Rex, to stay world number one for two weeks. He has it this week at the Valero Texas Open. Uh, Regardless of what happens this week, he will maintain that position through the year's first major at the Masters. Is that when the run ends? Is Scotty Scheffler going to be a two-week world number one, or does he have some staying power? I think he has staying power, because you look at everyone around him. I I don't know that he... Maybe he gets bounced in two weeks, but then we're talking about him having an opportunity to do it again at the PGA Championship or the U.S. Open. I think this isn't this is going to be the narrative going forward, at least for the foreseeable future in my mind, where every week you're going to have a Hovland or a Morikawa or Scheffler or John Rahm, who if they win this week, the math works out and, oh, they're number one now. I, I don't think that's any really different from what we've had over the last few months. The difference is Scotty stepped up and did it where other players had not. And I fully expect it to be, again, sort of a carousel of guys stepping in and out of that top spot. I would agree with you. I think when you look at the top five players in the world, that's Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, Kyle Morikawa, Victor Hovland, and Patrick Cantlay. To me, John Rahm still plays the best golf. To me, John Rahm has the most potential to win five or six times and kind of create that separation at the top spot. Now, he has not done it. I mean, he has not won since the U.S. Open in June, and it's a testament to Rahm's excellence and his consistency that he was even able to hold on to this number one spot since last July, despite not having a worldwide victory. I don't know whether Scotty Scheffler is going to maintain this position through the rest of the year. He would certainly need to continue winning, you would think, uh, to do so, but I do think he's going to continue to mix. I don't think this is just like a 
a 42-day hot streak, and then he's just going to kind of fade. I mean, this is who Scotty Scheffler is. If he's not the best player in the world, uh, he's certainly uh, among them, and I anticipate that his good golf at age 25 uh, is going to continue. I I do want to touch, Rex, on something you wrote over the weekend uh, at the match play, and that was on Kevin Kisner, kind of drawing the attention of President's Cup captain Davis Love the Third. It seems like every time we see Kevin Kisner play in a match play situation, it's like, oh, we got to automatically have this guy Breathless. on everyone. On, on the, just put him on, on every team from now from like, now from till now eternity on. ends. Exactly. How? Okay. So I, I, I do not agree with that assessment, and there's. No. number of reasons i'm but i am curious like if kevin kisner so he he has a terrible major championship record throughout his career he only has two career top tens the masters despite living close by that close by uh the tournament that he wants to live uh, to they wants to win most uh he has quite frankly just not had a very good record there let's just say rex that Kevin Kisner is somehow able to win one or two times the rest of the season, right? Like he has a really good year, maybe the best year of his career, and he plays himself into serious contention for a President's Cup spot. Do you think he deserves to be on that team as opposed to other players, just based on his match play acumen? Did you say, let me make sure I understand it. You just said he would play his way onto the team. I don't think that's the conversation. Well, no, he's not. No, he's not. He's, I mean, he's not going to finish inside the top six uh, just because his whoever, whoever plays well in the majors is going to automatically qualify. That's just kind of how it's going to work. No, I I agree with you. Uh, No, he should not. Absolutely not. And then I get, and I wrote sort of having fun with social media, which seems to get breathless every time Kevin Kisner does, does this. And look, I, I enjoy Kevin Kisner more than the next guy because I'm the guy writing about him. And there is nothing better when he comes off the golf course after one of these matches and looks you in the eye and goes, scared money, don't make money. I don't know what that means, but it looks really, really cool when you write it down on paper. And so from carrying a notebook, I love the idea that he's going to play well in this particular event. And the idea that he could be on that team is very entertaining because you just know he's going to bring something to that team that maybe they don't have. I'm not saying the American team is bad based on what we did, what the United States did. We, look, I did it. See? We. Yeah, I know. I did $5 into the $5. jar. Thank you very much. God bless. That's the first one this year. This is going to cost I'm gonna me. Be, I'm going to get in that smoker in no time. Uh, I think what the U.S. team did last year, I don't think they need any, any kind of special motivation based on what Kevin Kisner might bring to the team room. That being said, I thought it was interesting when he was asked that specific question on Saturday night. This is after he's earned his way into the semifinals. And should you be on every U.S. Ryder Cup team and President's Cup team? And he was really quick to say, no. I've said all along that if we're having one of these matches at Beth Page, just leave me at home. Like that golf course does not fit his game. And my immediate, I couldn't, I tripped over the microphone getting to it fast enough. How about Quail Hollow? And he smiled at me and he goes, yeah, I can play that golf course. And Davis Love knows that. Now, if he doesn't do anything. But so, so. I want to talk if about If he doesn't that. do anything between, to answer your question, if he, if he struggles between now and when Davis has to make those picks, absolutely not. He can't be on that team because there'll be players who are much more deserving to be on that team. You don't do it based on this tournament alone. I thought Billy Horschel did a gra- actually a really good job. Someone asked him, should records in this event carry a little bit more weight when it comes to picking players for these different teams? And he said no. He said you only play one singles match. He goes, otherwise you're with a teammate. And he goes, why wouldn't you look at 
New Orleans, which is self-serving for Billy because he's played New Orleans really, really well, or even the shootout, which is a silly season event, but you're still playing with a partner. Shootout? We're talking about the QB shootout as Again, it's a silly season event. Potential criteria for the for no 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 no. I think what you're looking for here though is some sort of okay. This guy can play well with a teammate, and you don't get that. He's not you're not playing with a teammate when you're in Austin. I mean, that's that's essentially you're just playing a round of golf against one of your buddies back home for a five dollar Nassau, and it's great. And I think you it should factor into the conversation, but so should New Orleans because there you actually have to have this dynamic with someone else and figure out how to play golf with somebody else, which is something they never do. So I, I thought it was a good point. No, if Kevin Kisner struggles the rest of the year, absolutely not. However, what if Kevin Kisner has a decent year? Let's say, let's say he's 12th on the colonial. list. If he's 12th he on the list, colonial, he challenges at Sedgefield. Pick him. Why not? I mean, absolutely pick him. He's going to fit well in the team room. I don't know who you would pair him with. I mean, you'd have to kind oh, of JT. Oh my God. JT like, would probably put him with JT. I mean, you look at who he beat. I'm just kind of glancing down the list now. And if, I mean, Dave's love doesn't need my advice on this, although we were texting back and forth and I did find it interesting on Saturday night that this is a man that never pays attention to golf when he's not at a tournament. Most tour players are like this. We can both attest to that. And when I texted him Saturday afternoon, hey, are you watching TV? And it was a real quick no. And then a, a response a few minutes later that I'm listening to it. I'm hitting balls on the range. Where he he understands that oh I the U.S. President's Cup captain. I mean, I understand that he probably has better things to do on the weekend. But he's like he's the captain. He never he's watches of a golf team in TV. like six months. How I don't think he, find out who's good. I don't think any of the the, the players like to watch golf on TV. I, I don't know why it is, but he's I, the he, captain. It's literally his job. It, it, but if you look at it, Corey Con- Kevin Kisner beat Corey Connors, who's going to be on that international team. He's probably going to be one of the better players on that international team. He beat Adam Scott, which I can only assume is going to be He's on the be international team. team. Yeah, he, you, you would have to think that he would have to be. And then he beat Mark Leishman, who will also be on, that be on team. the team. So I just think, yes, this body of work bodes very, very well. And you're, you're right now that I think about it. JT would, would be brilliant. He'd be funny. And you and oh, I carry notebooks for a living. Great team. And, and they would talk trash to each other more than they would talk trash to the internationals. And I would love to see that. But, no, I'm not going to go out on that limb and, yes, make him a blanket pick every year. Come on, that's ridiculous. So I want to circle back to something you said because he's so, – so Kiz is like Beth Page Black, which is going to be the side of the 2025 Ryder Cup. He goes, absolutely not. Leave me at home. But he says he can play at Coral Hollow. And, look, he has a point. He held the 54-hole lead there at the 2017 PGA, which was eventually won, uh, ironically enough, uh, by Justin Thomas. Other than that, I wasn't though, there like, for that, by the way. Oh, you weren't? No, I, I went to Palmetto. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Oops. That's a, that's a story that probably got the 500 page views. Uh, unless we're keeping it on the homepage for a couple days afterward. Uh, so, but other than that, other than that, when he held the <laughs> third round lead at the PGA, like his record at Quail Hollow is not good. He has, he has four missed cuts and, like the Americans are going to set that golf course up to maximize their advantage, which means it should be set up at maximum length, which is going to be 75, 7600 yards. There's going to be very little rough. There's going to be soft, fast greens. Like that's not necessarily in Kevin Kisner's wheelhouse. If we're talking about the Ryder cup in 2018 in Paris on a, on a golf course with really narrow fairways, super long, rough, slow greens you're you know you're really gonna kind of plod your way around like yes absolutely but venues matter too when filling out these teams and especially when the american captain davis of the third is going to have six 
captain's picks. Like in the President's Cup, the Americans are playing from a position of strength. They, they've only lost the internationals once, like ever. They're coming off the most dominant victory in Ryder Cup history. It's not like they need to start blowing up the formula once again. Their, their core players are 20-something studs who are full of confidence and bravado, like especially at Quell Hall. You don't need a specialist. You don't, you don't need a guy who hits at 290 and you know is, a, is an above-average putter. Like, I wouldn't want that player on that golf course in this tournament over leaving home, like, another top 15 player in the world, whether it's Brooks or Bryson or Berger. Like, all those guys are probably going to end up being fringe candidates just because of the influx of new talent that you've seen, like Will Zaltoris and Sam Burns. Like, those guys are going to be one of those picks that you're going to need. Like, I wouldn't want Kiz over one of those players who would be better suited to that golf course. I feel like we forget course fit when it comes to match play competitions. Like Austin country club is clearly in Kiz's wheelhouse, just like colonial is just like Sedgefield is just like sea Island is like, there's certain courses on the PGA tour that he fares really, really well. Quail hollow. You would not think, and historically it is proven to not be one of those golf courses. I think that really needs to be, be, considered as well i think it does you brought up will though he beat will last week in austin uh, it, yes this is golf course will really zalatoris is a better is a better is a better player than kevin kisner uh if you put him yes if you put him into a stroke play event week in and week out you're right will zalatoris is going to be a better stroke play player if you put them on austin country club i would take kevin kisner more times than not and i don't know you're right it depends on how they plan on setting up quail hollow we don't know a lot about quail hollow and i've I've been to it every year but i have no idea what that golf course is going to be like set up that time of year you would think the americans would lean into what they do best which is bomb the ball not a lot of rough it's what davis love has done during his turn as Ryder cup captain so you would think he would do the same thing but again if he's 12th on the list he's he's going to be on that team if he's 13th 14th i don't know it's going to be a conversation and who would you leave off to put kevin on the team so i i wouldn't say he's a lock by any stretch of the imagination how are we the only podcast in america that we've gotten i don't know 30 minutes into the podcast and you haven't said something i haven't said something about Will Smith. Uh, so I, I saw, <laughs> I saw the news this morning. You didn't that, like, see it like, yesterday. Oh no, I saw it. Okay. The Oscars are now talking about taking his trophy away from him, like stripping him of his best actor trophy. The first one they've ever won in his career because of a slap. Um, if he, if he punched Chris rock, like, would they ban him from making a movie ever again? Like, I understand you don't want to condone violence. I, I, I understand that. And yeah, you know, it's, it, it sounds it's, like, yeah, it sounds like you're hard. Yes, yes, I see. Like, it sounds like, like you're what, like, what are we, what are we, what are we doing here? It was, it was, <laughs> it was a slap. And all of a sudden you're going to take, can you even take the trophy away from him after the fact? Like he won it fair and square. He won it before he slapped him. How can you just, you just gonna like take away the physical object? Like what? What are we doing here? I, I don't I don't pay attention to the Oscars. I don't know that he did win fair and square. I didn't particularly like uh, King Richard. I didn't think it was a very good movie. However, I I thought <laughs> he would probably get it either for that or something else because it seems to me that they are really good Pursuit at making of happiness. Up. Was was terrific. How did he not win that year? That yeah, I think that's what was happening here. So I don't want to take anything away from it. You're right. I guess the part that got me is 
Will Smith looks like he has done that every day for his entire life because he reared back and hit another Slap man. Someone? Oh yeah. Like I mean, there was a form to that that you don't normally see. That you look like you have done this so many times that it is just second nature. The muscle memory. He reared back and just let him have it. And I guess my point was, I don't. It's someone who stumbles through TV all the time. You stumble through TV. It's what we do. If someone slaps me on live TV, Take it easy me show. I, I, if someone slaps me on live TV, I don't know what I, uh, how I'm going to continue the conversation that I'm having. I don't know how I'm going to do whatever it is I have to do next for TV because I'm going to be so stunned. I'm probably just going to lay down on the ground in the fetal position and hope no one saw. Like Chris, Chris Rock, he, he deserves an Oscar for taking that slap and keep going. And then, and then keep going. Like he, he dropped a, he dropped a curse word afterwards saying he slapped a, uh, <laughs> crap the crap out of him and then he just kept on going like give I'm Chris Rock an, an Oscar for for the 2022 Oscars like yeah I don't best, best uh stunt double or something like that like that was a that was an incredible performance under under duress yes you can't take the Oscar and look I think I just saw something in what can't take me. the Oscar from what can't is, take the Oscar and I think Will Smith just apologized if I just he did and so, and so did and so did Chris Rock for what he deemed was kind of a uh, a, a cheap shot at, at, at Jada Smith Pinkett. It was a cheap shot. What got me even more so, it was just a bad joke. Pinkett it's Smith? a 20 year old joke. I'm not really sure. I'm not, I'm not too up on the celebrities. Is it Pinkett Smith or Smith Pinkett? I think it's Pinkett Smith. I think it's Pinkett Smith. Sorry, yeah, yeah, don't, don't slap me. Yes. But it, it, was just a, it was just a data joke. Like, forget if it was offensive. I totally agree with that. And you and I are married. So we have both gotten that same look. Will from Smith our wives. was laughing. And then, At first, he, and then he got the look. Something. Yes, and then he got the look from his wife, and you and I have both gotten that look before, and we've both oh, yes. been like, "All right, I, I've got to do something about this." Like she's this, this isn't going to go well if I if I don't make something of this. I, I but the part that I had a problem with, it's a twenty year old joke, GI Jane. Like, come on, make a more relevant reference, more timely reference if you're going to make a joke. That was my bigger thing. I mean, I guess you just can't make alopecia jokes. I'm not sure why you would or or when you would. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I guess that's where you have to draw the line. But you're right. That was textbook form. There was a there's a Getty there's a Getty photographer who captured the shot. I'd encourage everyone to see it. I think that's kind of what the memes have been based off of. Like perfectly perfect form with his right hand. Like it was it was clenched. It was it was still fully extended. Like there wasn't a, a finger that was out of place. Like it was, it was textbook form with Chris Rock's face basically saying like, my God, what is happening here? Uh, but that, that'll, I guess, I guess that'll conclude our Oscar slap uh, portion. Had to uh, be done. Of, of this podcast. It, it, did, it did have to be done. Uh, we're two days away, Rex, from the final PGA Tour event before the Masters kicked off. And I'm kind of interested to see how this one plays out. I think there are plenty of players who in this week's field, you could say need a good week. You'd like to see a good week out of them. Your boy, Roy McIlroy will be in the field. First time he's played the Valero since 2014, a tournament boy that I cover. That's eight years ago. Uh, I am getting very old. Jordan Spieth, the defending champion at this golf course, Bryce DeChambeau playing what will be the second of three consecutive events. And how about 49-year-old Richard Bland in on a sponsor's exemption, just missed that top 50 cutoff for the world ranking to get an automatic invitation. This is his last opportunity. Win, Richard, and get in. King Richard, do it for Will Smith. Uh, what are you most looking forward to, to seeing this week, Rex? That was a professional transition right there. King Richard. King Richard. 
Yes. Is Richard Bland going to come slapping back? Nope. Too soon? All right. Forget it. <laughs> Too soon. Jada, <laughs> please, please. <laughs> Too soon. Uh, the person that I think needs a good week is Jordan Speed, because this is where we declared the comeback. Right. This is where we said, oh, yeah, he, he's done. Jordan is back. We, he, he's, he's fought his way through all of these troubles and we celebrated it. And now we are a year removed from him having won here last year. And now he's doing that weird swing and doing the chicken wing thing. And from what I saw last week in Austin, I don't think he's any closer now than he was probably going into last year's Masters to being fully back. I think it's still very much a work in progress. And in Jordan's defense, he just said all along, this is very much a work in progress. But I think he needs a big week, knowing what the Masters means to him. That you know, Driving down Magnolia Lane means something different. It hits differently with a guy like Jordan Spieth. And I think he would really like to have a week where the ball striking is there, the short game is there, the putting is there, so he can have some sort of confidence. And since you mentioned uh, Richard Bland, Blandy, to his friends, one of the coolest stories in golf. Yes, I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be awesome if he were to get that last spot, essentially, into the Masters. Yeah, sadly, I don't think it's going to happen, uh, but we can hope uh, and pray for King Richard. I, I, I agree with you, Rex. It's been kind of a curious season, I would say, for Jordan Spieth. He had an opportunity uh, to win at Pebble Beach, obviously. I believe he was two up uh, standing on the 71st tee uh, and ended up losing uh, to the great Tom Hoagie. And other than that, he, quite frankly, he really hasn't done a whole lot this season, including failing to make it out of group play at the match play championship in a format uh, that over the years uh, has, has suited him pretty well. Statistically, it's not, it's not great to be honest with you. Like his, his driving is, I would say, markedly improved, perhaps because it couldn't get uh, much worse than it did last year. But like his iron play, which has always been the hallmark of when he's playing his best golf, has dropped off. He's losing strokes uh, to the field, both around the greens and on the greens, which is certainly concerning. And I think when it comes to Jordan Spieth, everyone always just kind of falls back on the premise that, oh, once he gets to Augusta National, he can just kind of flip a switch and play his way into contention. I think historically he has proven that that can be the case, even kind of in the worst of times, uh, he's been able to find at least something to generate a little buzz when he gets on the grounds at Augusta National. But I think if you compare and contrast 52 weeks ago, Jordan Spieth and where he was, the state of his golf game after or around the Valero Texas Open heading into the Masters in 2021, versus 2022 i don't even think it's comparable i mean last year he had good performances in phoenix pebble bay hill um and then obviously he won at the texas open this year like he's looking for a spark he's looking for something to go his way because it it's kind of it's kind of missing at the moment it is missing at the moment and Again, I hate to go back to this. I, I think as breathless as we all became last year when he won in San Antonio, I think it was clear that he still had a lot of things he had to work out, and they're still trying to work him out. And that is unsightly, I'm going to call his practice swing and his actual swing at best. I mean, I think that's being kind. It simply doesn't look like it's comfortable. And for a player that he's, he's working on like some some tempo or some rhythm thing, like the, the, the backswing is clearly – more methodical, I would say, and and slower than it has been in the past. It does, and it, it doesn't seem natural for a player who I feel like he plays his best when he's just a field player, when he kind of yes, looks. He's not thinking about positions. He's just kind of yeah. getting after it. 
and you know he's, he's going to chat up michael and they're going to figure it out but it's all about fit feel he, he's not a you know paint my numbers kind of guy when it comes to the golf swing so yes when you see him doing whatever it is that he's doing that that's concerning when you see where last week at austin country club where he's had success it's a golf course that really should fit his game because it puts a premium on short game and putting and not even get out of group stage that concerns me to your point about rory as well i think rory doesn't need to win i don't think he needs the top 10 rory's played well this year i'm not sure why everyone's so down on rory like i'm not down on rory but i would like to see him have a decent week i mean that i'd like to see him have a good ball striking week i don't care where he finishes and i really don't care there's nothing that can happen at tpc san antonio which will make me think otherwise about rory like it's not like tpc san antonio is a great barometer for or kind of a litmus test for what he's going to face at augusta it's not like they're setting the golf remember like houston golf club they used to set that up like like basically augusta light like this bears little resemblance to what he's going to face. No, I think you're absolutely right. That's why I don't need to see a top 10. I don't, I don't even need to see a good putting week. I, I just like to see a good ball striking week where he feels like he's in control of the driver because if he shows up at Augusta and he feels like, Oh, I'm driving it like Rory McElroy, everything else is going to fall into place. Yeah. Like he's, he's played well. I, I, I know there's been some criticism of him and, and look, I think his iron play uh, has, has kind of been the, the biggest reason why he has not yet found uh, the winner's circle during the calendar year. He had an opportunity, obviously, in Dubai and the DP World Tour, kicked that away on the 72nd hole. I think if he has – so he didn't play the match play. If he shows up this week with tighter iron play, I think that'll be a great indicator for how he could attack Augusta National. If that is just a little bit tighter than it has been because his putting uh, has been above average, his chipping and pitching is fine, his driving is is predictably awesome. If his iron play is a little bit tighter, uh, I will not hesitate uh, to put him as my number three favorite uh, at the Masters. How about Bryson? We didn't even talk about number big, three beefy Bryson. What did you see last week? And do you think he has any chance nine days from now at the Masters? Oh, I saw nothing that makes me think that he has any chance this week. Now, next week might be different. I, I don't want to project out two weeks because again he is in the healing process he might have come back a week or two too early in my opinion but he wanted to get some reps in before the masters because that's important and maybe that will pay off but no what i saw at austin was awful he, he's sort of stuck in between swings it seems like it seems like he's playing well sometimes but then it seems like he he gets afraid that he's going to hurt something and sort of dials it back he, and he said he's not going to he's not 100 percent in this particular case though he played awful i have never in my career, seen a player. I've seen plenty of players slam trunks and miss cut on Friday afternoon, but I've never seen a player walk right off the final green and just a beeline straight to his car, never breaks stride, has you know his people in stride with him behind him, and just gets in the car and drives away. Have no idea who packed up his stuff, how he got his clubs, or how that works out. I guess you're Bryson, you, you have people that take care of everything, but never even looked up, let alone to talk to make a comment, to stop for an interview, to stop to get a drink of water, to pack up your stuff. Nothing. Just went straight to the car. Did Bryson give a press conference on Wednesday? He did not. No. Uh, he spoke with the media. He, uh, well, he spoke with Golf Jam, actually. Uh, yeah, that's it. So that was, so that was just a T. Lou interview? Uh, T. Lou and Rex Hoggard was there as well, yes. Wow. I, we, so uh, I, I, I saw there was a transcript, so I got excited. I thought that this was 
a new Bryson. Now that he's back on the PGA Tour in 2022, once the Saudi steps behind him, I thought he's going to turn a page and speak to the media. I got excited when I saw the transcript, but apparently you're saying. Well, uh, no, it was on the 13th tee, and we had walked a little bit in the practice round. I believe it was. No, on no, I'm saying, I'm saying after the Richard Bland match. Uh, after the the first day match, he stopped to talk to Todd, and that was the you know, he didn't stop at the other stations. Oh, yeah, so business as usual. Uh, business as usual. Uh, I'm I'm with you on all things Bryson. Look, the driver is Bryson DeChambeau's biggest weapon. He was the tour leader last season in strokes gained off the tee. He lost he lost strokes to the field with his driver at Austin country club. And that is a big problem moving forward. If that continues, I am totally with you. It seemed like he was trying to dial back his speed to protect his battered body. And so like he wanted to go at it full bore and then he got to the top of his swing. He's like, Oh no, I can't do that. And ended up sending it 50 or 60 yards, right? Spraying his driver uh, all over the map. I mean, if he plays like that at Augusta national, he's going to miss the cut uh, by a lot. And this is a golf course that as much as he can talk about it being a par 67 for him, as much as it's a golf course that he thinks that he can really overpower uh, with his length. He has still never finished better than T21. And that was as an amateur back in 2016. It is not yet proven to be a good golf course for his skill set. That said, I am curious to see if he is a little bit sharper than he was at the match play, because uh, quite frankly, uh, he can't get any more awry. How about your wheelings and dealings in Austin, Rex. Did you make it to Leroy and Lewis? I did yes not. No? I did not. Oh, uh, my goodness. I know. It's disappointing. But I found a new gym, I, and I, I Snapchat you from uh, there. It's called Cooper's. It's right downtown. I kind of stumbled across it. And not fancy, not fancy at all. You stand in line. It's kind of a buffet-style sort of deal. But I've always, been, I've always been curious, and I think I understand it now, when it comes to Texas barbecue, why the raw onions, why the pickles, and why the white bread? But once you put it all together in this particular line where you sort of walked and you got your different meats, whatever meats, you just kind of pointed and grunted and they, they would throw it on, on the plate. <laughs> Give me some of that. Uh, once you got the different kind of meats and you got your side, the, the barbecue sauce, and I, you and I had this conversation, it was a little watery, which kind of threw me, and it was spicy, but it was so good. And then suddenly, like once you start, I got brisket. And the other half of what dawned on me was I've never been a big fan of how they, they do sausage. You know, it's kind of, they do like a jalapeno and cheese kind yeah. of sausage thing. I've never realized that. But once you put it all together, it works. Like I had never really put it all together on one big tray and just sat and, and made a pig of myself. And once I did it, it like dawned on me that, oh no, I do like Texas barbecue very much. Thank you. It is amazing how simple Texas barbecue is. And if, if you are a barbecue novice, you probably don't understand this, but like different parts of the country cook barbecue different like brisket can be served five different ways or pulled pork however you want to whatever you're, you're making ribs like they're all cooked differently and in texas it is literally just salt and pepper and what the secret in the restaurants they don't tell you is also a little bit of granulated garlic that's it that is all they season it with and they season it very heavy it's a very pepper forward bite that you're going to get in the state of Texas, and they can doll it up for presentation. They can drip beef tallow on it. That's what makes it shine. That's what it makes it look so good for Instagram. But that's it. It's basically just salt and pepper. I have never been, Rex, a barbecue sauce guy. I don't use it on pulled pork. I don't use it on ribs. I don't use it on brisket. 
I like to taste the meat, especially if you're going to one of these quality restaurants that you're going to have in Austin. I mean, those like the quality of meat that they're bringing in, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't need any other accoutrements because like the quality is so high. Like the cattle is the best of the best. If you go to Franklin barbecue, you go to Leroy and Lewis, like they're spending a ton of money on the meat product that they're getting in. I'm not saying that certain sauces are watering down your experience or kind of diluting the flavor. Just me personally, not a sauce guy. Never have been, probably never will be. I literally just like to eat it plain. Is that weird? No, I don't think it's weird. I I, I appreciate, I, I am a sauce guy, so I, that probably makes me a bit of a rube. I, it, but no, I wouldn't say you're weird at all. I would say I'm just, I don't appreciate the good meat as well as you do because like I said, this I'm sure the meat was very, very good. I got brisket, I got the sausage, and I got beef ribs, which I normally do not get, but Ooh, they didn't have. Beef oh. ribs are a treat. Oh, it was such a, you know, it, it was very, very good. So, no, I know I disappointed you not going to the right places, but I did go to a place, and I think I have found me a new staple. <laughs> uh, I found me a place. Uh, that's all that needs to be said. Uh, I'm in the process of buying another grill. Of course you it are. Will be, it will be here by the time... Uh, I get back from my sojourn to Augusta National for 11 days. Uh, I'll do a full product breakdown, but but you should know that another grill will be coming onto my backyard area. I will not be giving up one either. Uh, so this is merely a addition. We have some videos to tape previewing the Masters. God knows we're going to talk about those. Uh, again, folks, we will very likely be doing an emergency podcast at the end of the, this week, whether or not Tiger is playing the Masters, we'll probably do one regardless. Make sure to check out golfchannel.com for all the latest news and updates on all things Tiger. And of course, the Valero Texas Open, as well as my coverage from the Augusta National Women's Amateur. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. <laughs>